Welcome to Talking Social Studies. You are listening to episode 18, Assessment in Social Studies. I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And I might have been given a bad grade, but I've got an awful lot to live for. This is a podcast where we talk about social studies in education today. Here you will find conversations about strategies, resources, ideas, and more, all designed to help today's social studies teacher impact their students. Hello, I'm Chris Hitchcock. I teach world history for a private online high school that is connected with Indiana University. You can find me on Twitter at chitch94. You can find our Talkin' Social Studies website by going to bit.ly slash talkingss. Hi, everybody. I'm Amy Presley. I'm a history teacher with Broken Arrow High School near Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can follow the Talking Social Studies podcast on Twitter at T-A-L-K-I-N-S-S, or you can follow me at STL in OK. Hi, everybody, and I'm Scott Padway. I'm a tech coach in Pleasanton, a former social studies teacher, and you can find me on Twitter at Scott Padway. And today, it's just the three of us. I know. Uh, Ryan Ryan was unable to get on, and and as our listeners know, we've been kicking the can on this episode down the road <laughs> a bit here, and we're like, man, we got three, we just got to go. Um, so hopefully there's some people who are getting their podcast updates from wherever they get their podcasts and are like, hey, talking social studies. We're about to come in. <laughs> Assessment? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> don't delete the episode yet. No, our goal is the season, right? I know, right? Our goal is to to get you thinking about assessment maybe a little differently today, and who knows, maybe you'll have something new to throw to your students at the end of the year as we uh, are so quickly racing to the finish here. Man. I feel like I feel like there's going to be a hole today. I think we just need to like lob Ryan some softballs, and in his post production, he can jump in here and uh, <laughs> and add in a few. Yeah, that editing tool. I know, Maybe he right? could throw some stuff in the show notes for us. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, it says something right here, Ryan. Today's topic is all about assessments. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of Ryan. I know the ghost. We, oh man, I feel like we need one of those buttons, you know, like those easy buttons. We can just hit it and have him just jump in with some okay. like, little cardboard re- cutout that pops up. Right, that plays about eight <laughs> different things depending on what you hit. You just... <laughs> oh man. Well, should we just dive right in? I think so. Let's do it. Uh, so let's start here today. Our first segment is going to be why and how do we assess? Um, so I'll just go ahead and get it kicked off. But, you know, assessments, they're really supposed to inform our instruction. I mean, that's the reason why we have assessments and really why everyone is so focused on assessment data is because, you know, how well have we been teaching? And really for teachers, what does that tell us about where we're going to go next? Um, but I often see a disconnect, right? There's like what teachers want in assessing their students, which is really that idea of informing their instruction. Do they understand those concepts? Do I need to reteach some things? Um, but then there's kind of like this broader district level kind of view of assessments and performance data, right? And what we think might be a great assessment, um, you know, at, at a district level, somebody may not think, uh, think the same, right? I mean, at, at some point, I want to know maybe kind of more qualitative data where at the end of the day, like somebody wants a number, 
you know, how well did you do on this? You did a three out of six. That's, that's, that's 50%, right? Some quantifiable thing. And, and so we all have these different ideas. Um, you know, for me, I, I look at things like all those formative assessments, right? Warmups as assessments. If we're, if we're talking about skills and interpreting political cartoons and finding these symbols in different kind of pieces, like that's a great opportunity to do it. You know, we've talked about cartoons in the past and today it's just going to be a very formative assessment on my part to see kind of, I don't know, can you, can you pull some of these themes out of, out of these cartoons? Um, but other people look at it much more on kind of that summative uh, level and really looking for the more formal, to, formal, and I realize I've got a mistype here, formal, formative, no, formal, <laughs> summative assessments. Um, and, and, and how you do that, you know, there's a lot of tools. And unfortunately, a lot of the tools that we use, you know, in, in our district, we use Illuminate. Um, we're looking at Nui and Map. We're looking at a couple different things, but you know they they're really designed to give you some disaggregated data on the back end, um, and not always necessarily designed for uh, the ease of the creation of those assessments. And again, that means that all of what you're pulling out of those assessments has to be able to break down into some quantifiable unit. Um, but the, hey, that's how we look at it, you know, and look at subgroups as as a district and and see how we're really doing. And so. Gosh, there's a lot of components to it. Um, I guess I'm hoping today that we can just talk about some some ways to, I don't know, maybe rethink the assessments a little bit, bring a little fun into some of the assessments, and, and then really like thinking about how you as a teacher can assess students in a way that you know gives them an opportunity to really show what they know, but doesn't bury you in the work of assessing students. I mean, I think that becomes one of the biggest problems is we have all these great ideas for authentic assessments. And then, you know, you spend days just trying to get through that stack or get through all those documents to really kind of take the, take the deep dive. And so maybe how we can find some more avenues to do that without, you know, we talk about um, without killing students on assessments, but also without killing teachers. Yeah, yeah. and making sure that it's something that's actually informative to not just the teacher, but also to the students. Right, I mean, that's that's a purpose is to give them some feedback and all that feedback takes, you know, it all those comments, they, they take work on someone's part. And and the last thing that you wanna do is is give some feedback that just ends up in the recycling bin on the way out of class. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you know how long I just spent doing that? <laughs> and it's like, oh, test came back today, look at the, uh, <laughs> look at the, to the end and then they throw it away that they don't even look yeah right. yeah right. I, have to, I have to agree with you there and i really this this idea of um the disconnect between what we're doing in the classroom and what districts are expecting and what states are expecting and we're really kind of in this man we're all like seem to be using the same words but i'm not sure we're talking the same language kind of yeah. thing um, I'll be honest with you. I, it, as soon as Ryan threw out assessment, I was like, Ooh, um, <laughs> because it means something different to so many different people. When you say the word assessment, what does that mean? And what does I, that look like? And I just want to stop you and point out the fact that we just, we're just throwing Ryan under the bus today. If you don't want to join, <laughs> Hey, if you don't like the topic. <laughs> love you, Ryan. <laughs> Yeah, we love you. Uh, he'll get us I, back in the post work. So, <laughs> so, you know, when 
but I, I had to remember kind of, um, I had to kind of remember, you know, who I'm talking with because I knew that kind of, sorry, a kiddo just came in the room with a mother's day gift. Thank you, honey. Can you go put these on the kitchen counter? Thank you. <laughs> Right. Real. What you got out of that Mother's Day gift that you know shows some of the skills? There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. How well do you know me? <laughs> Content down. How can you suck up to mom so you don't get in trouble later? How can you interrupt the podcast and not get <laughs> um, <laughs> bring gifts of chocolate? Um, oh, okay. So yeah, I remembered who. Sorry, I lost track of time. There. Um, so I remembered who who I was talking with, and I, one of the things I love about getting involved in talking social studies is that as spread out as we are, I really feel like we're all kind of on in the same, in the same room. Like we speak yeah. the same language, if that makes sense. Like when we threw out assessment, I it was like, wait a minute with this for like, I know we're all going to kind of be able to follow each other and what that means. Um, so, but for me, when we talk about assessment, yeah, it's all about the kids. It's, it's that backwards design assessment for learning kind of approach of, you know, what do they know? How do I know they they have it? What do I do when they don't? And what do I do if they do? Mm -hmm. yeah. There's so much of it of like, you know, um, I, I teach in a school where tomorrow night I've got 1500 kids graduating and I've got number one. What can I do to move number one? Because mm -hmm. Lord knows this kiddo's going to get a five on his AP exam and it's not because of me. He came to me as a gift, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. So, but still, how do I, how do I challenge him? And honestly, I've been the thorn in his side, shaking up his, his rhythm. That's what I've been. I, I've taught this kid life. Um, <laughs> right. Well, but, some of the kids learn, you know, they learn the ins and outs and what they have to do to meet those needs, but, uh, you know, to, to, to score well, but when you throw them those curveballs and really start pushing their thinking. Oh yeah. I mean, know. it's not, if you guys haven't picked up on this, I am not your traditional, you know, <laughs> approach to the teacher. So a kid comes in and there's a silly string fight. Sometimes that's learning too. Yeah. Um, that and makes a lot of kids really uncomfortable. Like kids who know how to do school well. Yeah. He can yeah. play that game well. And he's a great kid. I adore the kid. Um, really, really have enjoyed having him. He's a lot of fun, but yeah, I, I've definitely, yeah. I've shooken him up a little bit. And when we talk about, I mean, when a kid comes in, you're like, okay, we're doing the thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm like, okay, where you at? And the kids are like, I'm like, that's your assessment. What? Yeah, honey. Do you have <laughs> it? You know, at this point, you're a junior in high school, you're in AP class. Do you know it? You should know yourself. Mm -hmm. That's an assessment. Um, but I really do feel like we're in this flux with assessments, how we use them, how we're creating them. What do we value with them? Um, is this an assessment that is just like here because it's Tuesday the 5th or is this an assessment because this is where it fits in curriculum? Um, is this assessment, do we give it to all the kids? Do we give it to some of the kids? What's the point? Is this a box check? I mean, it's all about this conversation of it's so in flux right now. And we have to kind of keep in mind, how are we putting the kid first? How are we putting the kids learning first? And I feel like you can take real risks as long as you do that. Yeah. If at the end of the day, you're like, it was, it was all about the kid. Where does the kid know? Do they know it? Do they not know it? What do we do when they do? What do we do when they don't? If you can do that, you can screw it up royally and still move forward. And there's so much to that too, because, you know, even when you're thinking about putting the students first, I mean, you said it, right? We, there's so much focus on assessment and here we are, we are one piece. If you're in a high school classroom of, you know, a six period day mm -hmm. and it's come up at every school I've worked at. Well, we got to make sure that we're not giving the assessments on the same day. Oh you my know, gosh. Like, I have been the curse. This year has been my curse of 
like you, you plan, it's AP, you plan out your calendar and you got to stick, you know, you got to keep moving to be able to fit it all in. But I'll be dang if, if twice a unit exam has landed on the same day, there was some big project doing another AP and, and you can tell they're burnt. Right. And you're like, okay, do I, do I throw this out? But then there's also the biggest problem for a lot of those kids is time management. You know, this stuff I'm teaching you time management. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's something they need to know. I mean, that's like a life skill and it may not be on the AP test, but it sure as heck, if they can't do that, they're probably not going to perform as well as they could. It's the adulting test. That's what I tell them. Yeah. That's How well do you adult? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's really, I, you know, I started teaching in the mid nineties as the geezer of the group here, but, um, it's really been interesting for me to kind of reflect back. Like, I think if somebody had asked me right when I got out of, you know, my training, my undergraduate training to be a teacher, you know, what's assessment, I would have been like quizzes and tests, you know, a multiple choice question or something like that. And, you know, I think once you've been teaching for a while, you realize like almost everything you do with students is an assessment of some sort, you know, because you're checking their understanding, you're checking their skill level, you're seeing where they need support, where you need to reteach, but you're also seeing then where, like you mentioned, Amy, where you need to push them, where you need those kids that are high performers or kids that have a certain thing down. What can you do to take them further, you know, to help them move in either a different direction or to increase their already high level of performance even higher you know especially if you get to know them and you know like what their goals are what are they trying to do um what are their plans and you know you kind of have to know what can i do to help them you know get there to support them for that um so i know like even just you know i teach online so it's a little bit different and it's self-paced so you know i don't have like this whole group in front of me at a time like i used to where you give an assessment and you might have a lot of your most likely going to have a lot of differences in the results and then you have to figure out how to adapt to that um, and since my students are self-paced i can kind of take each student where he or she is based on you know what they're doing what their work is like you know if i'm having an email exchange with them and i'm seeing like oh, okay this is where the disconnect is you know or a video conference or something so to me like all of that is assessment um, and it's a lot of times that's a heck of a lot more informative than, you know, I know in our state when we do state exams, like they don't get the results back until later than they're always supposed to. And it's well after the school year's ended. So I'm not sure what it's supposed to inform aside from school report card grades. That's, Rant, I mean, sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, just, I, I'm wrapping my head around how, Cause I look at how I assess some of my kiddos and I know I'm kind of getting into segment two here, but I look at how I assess some of my kiddos. And I think just the difference with me in the traditional classroom setup and, and your classroom in the online setup, like it's just so, some things are just so different. Mm -hmm. Cause it's not, your kids aren't necessarily together. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, that's what makes this group so powerful we come together and everyone's got such unique situations because the reality is like everybody's out there listening to us too they're all in different circumstances mm -hmm. we're not necessarily talking to you know just a normal 9 12 high school teacher um and, but 
I think that there's components to what you know you're saying, Chris, that you do with your with your students in terms of those email exchanges and those just kind of informal things that happen. And you have to be very purposeful as a teacher to go out of your way to make some of those things happen in some cases, right? Because at the end of the day, you don't have two minutes to talk to every single student in your class when they come through your door. Like, I mean, I gosh, the days I do conferences, it's just like, okay, well, everybody else, this is what you're working on today. And I'm going to try and talk to half of you today, <laughs> you know, and, but in those two minutes that you spend having that conversation, you can adapt your questions and you can ask different things and just really try and pry for some of that deeper understanding that sometimes doesn't manifest itself in the essay we wrote or in the test we bubbled in or whatever, you know, whatever those kind of more traditional forms of assessment are. And so I think really picking and choosing between all of these and how you use them, um, because you're right, anything can be an assessment. Um, but I think it's really what you do with, you know, the data that you gather from that, that really oh, either yeah. informs well, your instruction or doesn't, right? Yeah, like you were talking about, you know, all those programs and stuff that disaggregate all that data. And we all know, and we've all been guilty of it. You get this great like graph of most missed question and, mm -hmm. and who did what, and it's beautiful. And your, your supervisor comes in and you're like, yeah, see all my data. I didn't do anything with it. <laughs> like, right. Right. All, it's, it's happened. It's no. all happens. It happens all the time. And it's, it's so bad. Cause we spent, I mean, uh, I know what the data says when we look at it like that, like it's, you know, we know which subgroups we need to work on and target and we know where there's holes. What, what we don't do well is we don't do well driving into why did we get these outcomes? You know what I mean? Like what did I do in my class versus what you did in your class that caused this discrepancy at, when we tested students on their ability to, you know, create a claim. That's the power of a really good professional, you know, a PLC. Yeah, you know, if, if you get an, Shout out to my my PLC partner. I mean, we have those conversations, and I know that that's kind of unique. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to let go and say, yeah, this one's on me. I screwed up. You know, right. my, my kid had a you know dentist appointment or whatever, and I put the kids in charge. And I never followed up with them, and here's the test, and yeah, they didn't get it. Yeah. yeah. But to be able to be vulnerable like that, and that's a lot of trust to build into. But man, you get an awesome PLC partner, and and it's amazing. You get so much done. And both both classes of kids benefit. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're in the middle of a big transition into RTI and, and really starting to look at creating those PLCs. And I think we're just kind of at the infancy on it. But I'm hoping that's, I mean, I think that's where you would find some value is like actually diving into what do you think impacted these scores the way that they are? Um, and then how we, you know, how do you go back? How do you reteach some of the stuff that you that you know students did not do well on? Um, but you know, in social studies, I really think it's really about the skills, right? I mean, it's, you know, there's so much content and APs, I think are, are kind of the one glaring difference, but you know, it's not so much, can you tell me all the things that happened leading up to this, but what connections can you make from it? And the reality is if I gave you something, can you put it into context of kind of world events? And can you tell me something meaningful about that? And, and maybe not just a, you know, beyond the date, beyond the, you know, who and what, but like, what are the greater implications of that? Um, I mean, you could look at something like, you know, it'd be a great question to ask your students would be, you, I mean, with all, well, I guess we're getting into social studies today, but I'm just thinking, 
I'm just fascinated by this, you know, the article I read the other day about North Korea and them wanting to like end the Korean war finally. Right. But it's something that you study, it's something that you cover. It's never come to an end. You know, the test goes and we move on, but like, let's pull out the real question from that. Like, how did we get here? And what, what is, what does this mean for the future of that whole region? And well, all the people, your kids are asking things like, why now? What's mm -hmm. going on? Why now? What are the, what are the, what are the kind of the, the pawns that are lining up? I mean, there's, there's, there's gotta be, you know, 18 different directions on why now with that story. And we only know three or four of them, yeah. but the, the kids are asking those questions. You're like, you did your job. And how we know what we know, that which goes back to the conversation that Chris and I had while we were just hanging out before we started the show today um, about, you know, how we know, uh, you know, kind of that civic reasoning stuff, right? How do we know what we're reading and where we're coming from and the perspectives? And, and those are the skills that we really need to teach and assess. But I don't see those on uh, on any of our state tests. Well, yeah, and that's back to what you were talking about with the disconnect of the, of you know, at those different levels of the teacher, like in the individual classroom versus the school versus the district versus the state, what's valued in each, what skills and content are valued. And, you know, the bigger you get, uh, you know, up to like from a classroom to a state level, the slower it is for those things to change and reflect what's, you know, the new thinking on what's actually important. Um, so that's, you know, one of the bigger sources of frustration that I think, I mean, there are many sources of frustration in education, but I mean, I think that that's a big one, aside from the fact that a lot of times when things do change, it's hard to discern why they're changing, but that may be another podcast. Why? Well, okay. Well, I guess kind of moving on to how are we able to assess without making ourselves, <laughs> our students, absolutely miserable? Because I can tell you as much as I love DBQs, I have always been a huge fan of DBQs. I kick myself every time there's a friggin' half a foot stack. <laughs> there's a six inch pile on my desk and I'm like, oh. Why have I done this to myself? Oh, I'm, I made the big mistake of assigning a DBQ right as I had doctoral, I had a, a research proposal thing due for a class. I looked at my kids, I'm like, okay, so you did these? I'm not looking at them until next week. Because right. um, I, 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 that was dumb on my part. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and they laugh at me, bless them. Um, but I, I think for me, the trick with avoiding misery is to keep it informal. Like yeah. the more that I can assess them without them realizing they're being assessed, the more yeah. accurate and the more authentic it's going to be. Um, when I taught government in Missouri, um, we had a state um, end of course exam that went with the civics class. The state required a constitution test that went at the end of the class. And then there was also the district final exam at the end oh of the gosh. So in a two week period, there are three cumulative tests. Now, the only one I had any real say in was the final exam. And so we were able to get approval from our district that instead of doing your normal paper and pencil exam, what we did was we had the kids sit in small groups and we gave them blind um, court cases we had not discussed in class, but they were all court cases that had to do with school. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you know, the, the very famous bong hits for Jesus case. Um, if you're not familiar with that one, kid raises a sign at a school and it's like bong hits for Jesus at like a football game and he gets suspended and, and you know, is this free speech or not? Um, and other things like that, things that search and seizure stuff. Anyway, the kids get um, basically a, a case brief with everything but the decision. They get that, they get a copy of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And they, as a group, play judge and jury. They're the Supreme Court. So they have to create an argument. They can ag all agree. They can disagree. They can do a split decision. They can do it. They just act as the court. And their grade is based on how they use the Constitution, how they interpret it, and then how they apply it. You talk about authentic assessment there. These kids are doing this stuff. And this is stuff that affects them. It was probably the coolest. The, one, it was like probably the easiest final I've ever had to grade because it was at what level one to five, like a rubric, how well did they do this? And then the kids like had an authentic or truly authentic experience. It was pretty awesome. So um, how, how did that work? Like did they, were, so were well, you, got a different case. So I guess I'm thinking like the logistics for you. I set up the cases and I set up the rubric, which was like one to five. Like, did they bring up these five points? But like, did, uh, they, did they argue them in class? Yep. Well, they decided amongst themselves and they just reported out their decision and, and so, their why. And so you were assessing the why. Yeah. I was assessing how did you get there? Got it. Um, and, and the kids were, it was a high interest because all of these cases were things, you know, the kids was like, who's going to have the coolest case? And they were all, you know, uh, fun cases for them to learn about. So um, does that for them, does that end up as like a group grade on the assessment? Um, they each, they, they got to choose how they divided it up. So like those five things, there would be five kids. So they got to decide together as a group how, what the answers were to each part, but then okay. they each reported out a piece of it. So everyone is responsible for so actually I, I'm that. not a big fan of like five kids in one paper, unless I can see the, the keystrokes because sure. I feel like there's always that one kid who does all the work. Right. Um, I will be honest with you. I purposely created the groups myself because I didn't want that happening. Um, you know what I mean? Because it's what you have to be able to co collaborate, but nobody rides coattails either. Like you have to be able to stand on your own TV. Um, and if a kid was at, the attendance was always an issue with finals. So if they were gone, they had to do it by themselves in writing. So it wound up being like a two page paper. You can sit and talk with me for five minutes or you can write a two page paper. It, this, you're going to say the same thing in both. But so my attendance was always like really good <laughs> because they wanted the easier aspect of it. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a real laid back day. The kids had a blast. Um, with East Asia, I do a lot of project type stuff. Um, some, a lot of it started just on the, on, just on a whim. I realized a couple of years ago that majority of my kids, they live in Oklahoma. So this drives me crazy. They've never flown a kite. Hmm. Like, how did you grow up in Oklahoma? You know, where the wind comes sweeping down the plains and you've never flown a kite. You've never built a kite. I mean, like they conceptually understand what a kite is, but it turns into this whole engineering unit. We talk about the history of the kites and, you know, uh, traditional designs and things like that. They build one and they get bonus if it actually flies because understanding weight ratios and things like that gets a little complicated, but um, they have a that's, blast. But that's awesome. And wouldn't it be like in a perfect world, they, that would be their assessment in their physics class, right? Yeah. Like, if it flies, great. Now you, <laughs> now you do well. And if it doesn't oh. fly, then 
<laughs> well, and they always come back and I'm like, okay, so what advice would you give a kid next year? And then we create a list that we pass on to the next group. Um, they, they're currently in the middle of um, making Vietnamese lanterns for, um, it, it's the Harvest Moon Festival. And it's like a cross between Halloween and Thanksgiving. And so we do a food day where the kids can make, like, like it's totally optional, but they can bring in an authentic Asian dish and they talk about the history of the dish and things like that. So it's a little cultural understanding, but then they, they design, design, they put, they decorate these lanterns with things that should show up at that particular. So it's kid friendly and things like that. And, you know, bless the age of Amazon because I can order, you know, a dozen or more of these plain paper lanterns that come with led battery lights. So we turn off the lights and we make it the moon festival. It's so much fun. And I know it sounds like really simple and kind of little kitty for high school kids, but a lot of that class is just cultural exposure. But, and I think that's, I think that's a big hang up though, because I, I do think that's kind of a mindset that you hear from people, something like that where, okay, well that's fun. That's, you know, cool. But, but we're high school teachers and. Yeah, but if a kid's in, a senior in high school and they've never flown a kite, this is a life experience. Sure. <laughs> Like that's but, something everybody should experience is there's just something about flying a kite that it truly is a life experience that I really feel like those kids should have. Oh, I agree with you. I think, right. And I think those experiences that you have in some cases, I mean, not, well, let's put it this way. They're, they're the things that you remember, right? So your students are going to go off. They're going to remember the day that you made kites and you know, they, they may not remember the stories behind them and the history of, flying kites and all, all these pieces, but like in terms of having a gateway to connect with kids, because you do have kids who are into that and you're going to have some kids who are going to spend way more time making their kite and researching the history of kites than they would doing anything else. Like it, it starts tapping into, you know, multiple modalities and, and just diverse learning styles. I'll be honest with you that I think the best thing that comes from that particular activity is the side conversations that have nothing to do with the activity. It's that culture building with your kids. Those are my kids by the time we, I mean, that's usually the line, like after that project is when they're mine. Mm -hmm. Like they, whatever harebrained idea, they're going to give it a shot. Um, what you were talking earlier, um, Scott, about the, you know, you mark it up, you spend all this time giving feedback and then they just look at the you throw it away. You know, they look at the score. What's my score? That's all they want to know. What's my score? Yeah. I started this year doing what I call it the write up activity. So um, LEQs, DBQs for, for AP classes, you know, you've got these rubrics that are standardized across the board. But again, the kids, what's my number? What's my number out of seven? What's my number out of six? Well, I tell them to hang on to it because I give them all that feedback. But then at the end of the semester, I'm like, get them all back out. Now, I want you to pick one. And I want you to pick somewhere on that rubric that you didn't get that you are going to aim for. Well, they, they have to look through them all now to figure out which one, because now it's the game of what's the easiest point to hit. You know I'm saying like, yeah. this is the work smart, not hard thing. But what do they do? They read them all. They read every single one of them to figure it out. I'm like, that's how I get them. That's how I get them to read the feedback. And it's the week before the AP exam. So guess what? We just reviewed writing. Ah um, <laughs> Uh, Amy, I think you should write a book, Backdoor Teaching. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotcha. 
They, well, you, you, know what, you run into one of my kids, you'll have to ask them about our little Illuminati symbol. It's this triangle and it's got a Q in the middle for no quotes. It's a triangle because you should have three pieces to your argument. And then there's a C at the top because you need to remember context and it's a little scale at the bottom. It's this crazy looking Illuminati looking thing. And I'm like, well, I'm going to get this on a t-shirt. Like I'm so going to keep this printed on a t-shirt. Or stickers. <laughs> That's what I should do. If I can get it printed on like a good luck coin or something, like that oh, would be cool. pocket token. Yeah. yeah 3D printer. Oh, I didn't think about that. See, this is why we have a great group. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Makerspace. <laughs> our, our, our engineering teachers have laser cutters, man, and they will Ooh. personalize just about anything. Um, I'm so jealous because, cool. you know, I'm in Oklahoma where they're talking about taking away by vote the, the legislative race, but we're going to move on from that. <sighs> All right. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> um, uh, I, I sigh for you. Um, well, another thing that I think is not too painful for teachers or for students in terms of a quick but meaningful assessment is the Stanford History Education Group. We've talked about them before on here. We will probably talk about them again. They're beyond the bubble assessments um, because they basically give them, you know, either a, a picture or a set of, you know, some pretty short like two pretty short documents or a document. And sometimes it's even in a foreign language. I mean, it's not even like, you know, something they're supposed to necessarily read and comprehend, but, um, and then there's usually just one or two questions. And there's a specific historical thinking skill that the questions are designed to target. You know, it takes a very short amount of time for the students to do. It takes a short amount of time for the teacher to assess, you know, or to evaluate. And then you have an idea. It's like, okay, which of my students have got this skill down? Which of them do not? Um, and so that's definitely a section. I know a lot of us you know, use the document-based lessons that they have, which are awesome. Um, but if you haven't checked out the Beyond the Bubble and they have, you know, within the last year or so added world history assessments, they used to just have those for US history, but there's some world history and I think they keep adding to it. So for those of us that teach world history, yay. <laughs> okay, total geek on moment. Like I wanna just go play at Stanford at their <laughs> education group. Like I just wanna go hang out for like, can I do like a PD? Like <laughs> it would be so amazing. That crew of people just comes up with the coolest stuff. Man, I'm, I'm trying to get them to come out to our district and do uh, PD. I'm trying to get our social studies teachers out to some uh, some blended learning PD and actually a backdoor into digital citizenship and media literacy. And I'm, I'm hoping that, I don't know, we can work something out. And if we can, Amy, we will we will bring you in via telepresence. <laughs> there you go. A fly on the I back love of that. Um, but I don't know. So if anyone from Sheg's listening. You, you should yeah. <laughs> We're putting out a request. There you go. <laughs> you know, but I, I'm but I, us at NCSSAT, right? <laughs> I know, yeah. right? But I want to come back to some of what you said, Chris, about the Beyond the Bubble assessments, which I think are really brilliant um, because they really focus on the skill. Like, mm -hmm. they've done it in a way that as a teacher, it's like, it's either this or it's not, and it's that. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that idea of trying to identify what that skill is that you want to assess um, and trying to really boil down what you're asking students to do. Like if you want to do a full on DBQ, fantastic. And I've linked this 
rubric that we used to use uh, in the show notes. I don't like the rubric. I was torn on kind of linking. I don't like it because I think it's big. Um, but what I liked about it was was the kind of the horizontal layout to it, right? So we have criteria on there for what makes the five, the three, and the one, or sorry, the four and the two. And the five, three, and the one are either, well, if it's not there, it's here. If it's not there, it's there. You know what I mean? And so it just makes it a little bit easier, I felt, as a teacher going through and assessing. Not to say that I think I would not try and assess all of these pieces at one time. Like I would pull out a small piece, and if we're going to work on claims, like then I want you to write a claim, and that's what I'm going to evaluate you on. And I think that's where the Beyond the Bubble is really, really fantastic is it really boils down to that individual skill that you're, that you're trying to assess. Um, but I think as teachers, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that we use to assess things. And if you wanted to just boil down those claims, I got to tell you what, the Google Classroom question feature is like my favorite feature in Classroom. I don't know if you guys have ever used Classroom or the question feature, but it's amazing. It's just, it's one thing. I insert a question, like there's a multiple choice aspect, which I think is relatively useless. Um, and, and maybe not, maybe somebody has a good idea for it, but just as a short answer, if you do warm up questions, it's a great place to put it. And when we're talking about everything being an assessment, it, they all can be. The reality is I'm not gonna use everybody's warm up every day as a, as a real assessment. In some cases, there's the reality of, I just want you to know that you've like put some thought into what we're gonna talk about. Um, but if I did want it to be an assessment, you know, you have some features in there that allow you to uh, allow students to edit their responses. It also allows them to see each other's responses. So maybe normally I allow you to see each other's responses. Once you've submitted something, you can go in and you can see everybody else's and you can comment on that. But you know what? Today I'm actually going to use it more of as an assessment. So you'll still fill it out the same way, but I just won't let you see the other responses. Not until I've had an opportunity to maybe go through them and then we've discussed it as a class. But in that way, First, just weeding out, you know, the zeros. Like I know who has not done it. It's very clear. Five people in this class have not turned that in. Um, but for everybody else, everybody's response is just right there. I can just scroll through very quickly. And if you had some type of rubric that you were using or just just a whether or not, you know, got it or didn't get it um, in a way that you can, as you just scroll through that page, very quickly identify they can write a claim, they can write a claim, needs help with the claim. They can write, you know what I mean? And and I think it, it's a very useful tool for that. Um, but there's a lot of other assessment tools out there. I mean, Quizlet, Kahoot, Google Forms, there's all sorts of things, Socrative, and they all have kind of little different components to them. Um, one thing I, I, I'd encourage people to think about, though, you know, I, I find a lot of people do Kahoot. When, when do you do Kahoot? When do you play Kahoot? Before the test. Before the test, right? <laughs> but... Why isn't that Kahoot a component of the test? Like we can do it before the test, that's great. But if you are still assessing students on things that you can bubble in on a test, I mean, and you can create questions that you'll run through a Scantron machine that will, you know, uh, they'll be beyond the bubble. They'll be a little bit more in depth than just, you know, C. Um, but if you're like, it's kind of assessing content knowledge and you're just asking questions about people, places, things, and it's just a kind of a, a B, C, or D, like, why don't you do that on Kahoot? And you know what? It's time. So people don't have the opportunity to go look up the answers. Right. And then we're done with those questions. Like we can, in 15 minutes, we can get rid of that part of the test. And now we can spend our time focusing on that DBQ or whatever it is that we really want to dive into. You know, I, I, we spend a lot of time working on DBQs. I, I like DBQs a lot, but for the exact same reason that Amy kind of brought up, like, 
it's not like an every week thing. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do that. I mean, I, uh, I think they're so valuable. They're a really great tool. Uh, like you said, going beyond the bubble to like, how can they make the connection? Right. And so I think like, how do you, how can you use students, right? How can, by the time that we do a DBQ that I'm assessing, that should be like the fourth or the fifth DBQ we've been working on. You know, all those elements leading up, maybe I've assessed your claims and maybe I've just looked at the way that you cite evidence and, you know, maybe I've kind of read through some of your reasoning. And I used to parse that out through Google Forms. I could have people submit them as a form response and like an autocrat back to you, your your kind of outline of your essay or your DBQ response or whatever it was. Um, and then I would just go through. I'm like, we've talked about claims. I don't need to worry about that. I'm curious about their reasoning. What connections are they making in this column? And it would just give me kind of a glimpse into those. But, you know, I really think if you scaffold that with students along the way, so when you do want to assess that DBQ, when you do really want to, you know, ask the bigger question, I mean, first of all, like, come up with a question. Like, come up with a good question. And something that's relevant that's going to get them engaged because the other piece of the misery that we're talking about is not me as a teacher, but it's also the students, right? And so trying to get one of those juicy topics. So let's talk about the players in North Korea and why that's happening now. You know, here's some things to look at and, uh, and you know, see what kind of arguments you can make. But trying to do that in a way that by the time I'm sitting down to read that stack of papers, it's, it's more of like the once a quarter, once a semester type thing as opposed to having to do that all the time. Like well, we should write more, but 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 there needs to be some accountability on the students parts to help give each other that feedback because at the end of the day like you know you got 170 kids come through your room there's only so much quality feedback you can really give in yeah. you know in a lot of amount of time well and you have to be strategic i think with what what you're focusing on and do you have to have them do the entire like an entire like essay response in order to assess for that you know like i know when i i mean i only taught ap world history for a year but even with you know like in you know your general college prep courses you know do students know how to write a thesis statement you know can you just have them write the thesis statement and then write down like what are three pieces of evidence that you would use you know like write three claims write through the three pieces of evidence you would use to support yep. that claim Okay, and then that's a lot easier for them to do. I mean, it's not easy for them to do, but it's easier than having to write an entire paper. And then it's easier for you to check, you know, what, you know, you are focusing on a particular skill or a particular, mm -hmm. you know, thing that you want them to focus on. And then they can always, you know, then on the next, the next time, once everybody gets up to speed on that, then, you know, work on another element of it. You know, they don't have to do the entire DBQ. They don't have to do an entire essay each time. Um, you know, you can work on those writing responses. Can they write a really good paragraph? And if they can write a really good paragraph, yeah, they can write several. Amazing. The, I mean, the DBQ thing, I mean, we always talk about DBQs in the AP format because that's, I mean, I bring it up because that's where I'm at. But my on-level kids wrote DBQs. They didn't necessarily do it in a 45-minute period, but we built them. And what's funny is the kids, the beginning of the school year are like so intimidated and so overwhelmed and they hate them. And then my, towards the end, the last two assessments of the year, when I taught on level, they had the option of a DBQ or a multiple, you know, a, a kind of mixed exam, a multiple choice and this, that, and the other. And more kids than not went for the DBQ. 
-hmm. because they're like the answers here. Yeah. yeah. The answer's here. I just need to figure it out. I don't, right. I don't have to remember much Everything. outside of this if I can put it in context. And I'm like, you're right. They are. It's one of those things I said, it's, you know, it's the same for you as it is for me. Doing them is great. Yeah. No, I, not so much. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and, and so that's the next thing, like, is how can you, you know, can you turn that? And what I love, sorry, what I love about what you were saying earlier is when you had kids come back and revisit the feedback that you had left them with those DVQs, right? And then they had to kind of go back and, and, and tweak one of those. But imagine you coming back to the DVQ, you know, we've done a lot of little ones along the way. And as that final project, it's, it's not a written DVQ anymore. Like you're going to make a persuasive piece of media. So you can paint something or maybe you can, you know, write a song that talks about, you know, that, persuades people based off of whatever evidence that is that you're trying to trying to get or maybe maybe it's just a documentary you know and so many avenues to show those skills rather than just the written piece but if you never work on the written portion of that and those individual skills of identifying what your claim is citing evidence explaining reasoning um that then your movie would not be very good. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, you yeah. work on the skills and when we get to that final product time, maybe we're going to flip it. It's not going to be that final paper. It's not going to be that final response to DBQ. Like you're going to have to respond to it, but you're going to respond to it in a totally different way. Well, it's good for them to see that the skills transfer to different oh, media, yeah. you know, or different out, different types of output. Yeah. But you know, one of my favorite assessments that I used to do, I, I used to do these like newspaper headings and they were just kind of, they were formative. They were just group quizzes really is what they were. But like, well, I did them a lot of different ways, but uh, I just put up a picture. Some of them were straight out of the textbook. Some I just found online and I was just, you know, just write a response. Like what is, what is this caption for this paper that, that's coming out tomorrow? You know, you're working for the New York times. What's the headline? And you know, being able to take a photo of a bunch of ships and identifying, you know, Dewey going into Manila Bay or, you know, sugar planters in Hawaii, like it shows kind of a different level of knowledge about the content uh, and what you can do to interpret from these documents, photos, you know, not even photos. I mean, in some cases, they're just drawings. Um, and so I always kind of enjoyed doing that. It was just kind of, it was a new way to, not a new way, but it was just a different way to, to assess student work. Um, but my hands down favorite is kind of like your lantern thing. Uh, I used to teach geography and I did these crazy culture projects and they took forever. And at the end of it, I was like, well, there's not really a good way to tie this together. Um, and so I had him become a travel agent. And I was like, look, I'm going on a trip. And I'm going to, and I gave him some like different criteria about, you know, things that I like to do, bodies of water, you know, geographic features, historical sites, all sorts of different things. And then they just pulled countries out of a hat <laughs> and they had to, they had to pitch a trip as a travel agent based off of the things I'd outlined um, and really sell those regions of the world. So they're researching and they're trying to find out about the culture and about the physical geography and all these different kind of elements that we talked about. Uh, and whoever could put it together in, you know, the most engaging, you know, I was just taking notes and I told them at the end, I'm going to hire somebody. And if you, <laughs> if that is you, you know, you win. And I had <laughs> so much fun sitting there 
And I threw him a curveball too, halfway through. I was like, yeah, I decided I want to go to two countries. So just pick something else that's in the same hemisphere as where we're starting. And, uh, and it was awesome. I mean, what the kids came up with and the activities that they could find to do there and the people and the history, like, and you know, people would get like, they'd be like, Turkey, I don't know anything about Turkey. And I'm just like, just Google this. <laughs> you know, do some research. Like, oh my God. You know, and they, they just need one, one thing, one image to spark their mind. And all of a sudden they're like, they're down the rabbit hole. And it was a lot of fun. So have um, you ever truly been tempted or planned a trip? Based off of their criteria? Yeah. Um, I've been very tempted. Actually, the first time I ever did that, the kid who won pitched a trip to New Zealand. And let, let me tell you, the kid, um, student that did it was not the one I was expecting to win uh, by any means. But he, you know, based off of the criteria and he had an awesome country, uh, was able to put something together. I've been really tempted. Like, uh, there's definitely some things I'm like, mm, I should check that out. Uh, <laughs> Adding that to the bucket list. But well, there's the, the, the authentic part of it, though. I mean, uh, there's that legitimate audience. I mean, you, you, if you ever did take a trip to one of these places, you know, I don't know how well you can track those kids down, but be like, hey, here I am. <laughs> so, so where I cheated on this is, um, I've been real fortunate, you know, I've gotten to travel a little bit and, uh, and so every country that was in the hat was a place I had been to. Oh. So I had something that I could tell them about that. So okay. the kid who pulled out Lao and is like, <laughs> I, what, do I, what do I do with this? Like I can just point them into so many different avenues beyond like, well, look at, you know, the Ho Chi Minh trail and where it comes through. And, but like, no, just go Google Luang Prabang. Like just Google, you know, alms for the monks. And they would, and they'd see these photos or these videos of like things happening. And it would just, it would just take them down this whole new route. And I actually think if that was where we started the year, I bet they would have been way more engaged in all the content as we went through it. <laughs> You know, just having some perspective on, on the world, but I don't know. The point is there's just, a, there's a lot of things that you can do um, that are maybe a little bit less traditional than the way that we think, think of assessments. And it's really what you do with those, those pieces and how you, and how you use it to inform your instruction and where you want to go and how you use it to inform where you've been and what your students know. Yeah. If you're not making adjustments, it's not a, a an accurate, I guess, assessment. Um, it's just a test. And it's a good thing we're on online because if I asked everyone to raise your hand, have you ever given a test and <laughs> used it for nothing other than a letter or a number? Oh, we're all guilty. Raise that. your hand. <laughs> we're and all guilty. You know, I mean, we all do it and it's a necessity thing. But if we can find opportunities to make it a little bit more fun, take some of the misery out of it and, and just be really purposeful in what we're asking students to do, like there's a story to be told with everything. I'm with you. Well, I saw that Ryan mentioned, um, see, he started to fill in some things. Um, he talked about schoolology assessment builder, and I have played with that a little bit. Um, I'll be honest with you. I haven't spent, um, a friend of mine talked about activity learn. Have you guys heard about this? Oh, actually, yeah, I've heard of it. It's, I mean, I'm more familiar with, um, you know, with, oh gosh, I totally, I'm losing my train of thought here, but YouTube where you can build in the questions, um, with a video yeah, Ed puzzle. Ed puzzle. Ed puzzle. Yeah. So apparently it's like Ed puzzle, but you can put it in like, um, any website. Uh, yeah. You can put it in the website so you can have kids do like the Ed puzzle thing, but with documents. Oh, someone was just telling me about this the other day. I haven't played with it yet, but it sounds like it would be really cool. 
Yeah, it and does. one of my one of my colleagues also uses Perusal, and you can do the same thing. Like with it, basically takes like a snapshot of a website, and then you can add in questions and stuff like that, and you can build like a class in Perusal and have questions and the students can work together, I think, or not. But anyway, that's. Yeah, I know, I know uh, Formative has some tools like that too, where you can take a document, you can draw your own text boxes on there and kind of build in your own questions. There's another one too that I like a lot, um, Insert Learning. And it's, again, it's kind of the same type of thing, um, but you can ed puzzle your websites and your documents. I think this stuff is so cool, but I'll be honest with you. What makes me nervous is um, the wiki thing. <laughs> like you spend all this time building stuff and they're closing it down. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like the things you're building out of Google, you had a pretty good shot of being able to keep. Right. But oh gosh, some of these outside websites, I'm like, how much am I willing to invest? Well, and I'll be honest with you. That's why I work so hard with our teachers. I'm like, look, what you can do in the Google Apps suite is, you know, you just need to rethink a little bit about the way <clears throat> that you're asking questions. Because the reality is, like, you could make an infographic in drawings or in Google Slides, and you could put in some things to highlight, you know, or take a screenshot of the website or insert the document. You can put in some notes on there or comments in a document. Um, and maybe what your assessment comes back to that Google Classroom question feature, or maybe it's something that you're doing in Google Forms. Um, and the reason why I like that is because I'm already working in that world. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like Edpuzzle's great, but now I've got to go, I got to create an Edpuzzle classroom and I've got to assign it through Edpuzzle and the students have to log in. Otherwise it doesn't track any of their responses. But it's not unrealistic for me to post that Edpuzzle video in my Google Classroom and just say, respond to this question in classroom. But I think they, well, I mean, I don't know, in Canvas, they can, like they, you can embed the Edpuzzle videos in Canvas and they can just log in from there. They don't, or it's tied to their login to, I don't know. Anyway, like they don't have to go out into Edpuzzle, whatever the technical term. For <laughs> like no, a single, single sign in or something like that. I feel so. like with Canvas, we've been using Canvas for two years now. And I feel like I've just gone from like the kindergarten level to maybe third grade level. I'm like, I know this program could probably stand up and dance and I'm just trying to crawl through it. Yeah, you know, well, that's the thing. There's there's so many of these programs out there and we actually, so my district, we, we do not have an LMS. Uh, we live in a world without an LMS, which is create some other interesting challenges. Um, but I know, you know, when Ryan's talking about some of those pieces in Schoology and I'm guessing what you can do in Canvas and, probably host other LMSs. Like if that's the world that your school is working in, I, I would encourage you to go out and, and try and figure out what, what pieces that offers, right? Because if you stay in your school's ecosystem, it's just going to be, it's just going to be better for you. It's going to be better for the kids. It's going to be better for everybody. And, and for us, we're, that's, that's kind of in Google Classroom. I mean, that's what we've been using in lieu of. Um, but there's so many ways to do it. And whether you're doing it on tech or off tech, I mean, at the end of the day, put up an overhead photo and ask kids to write a response down on a piece of paper and collect it. Yeah. Um, overheads. Woo. Woo you know, I think your workflow improves a little bit when you Google image, search it, <laughs> project it and have them respond somewhere that it just collects it digitally for you. But you know, again, at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how you do it. It's what you do with it. That's true.
True. All right. Should we right. get on to our social studies in the news? Hey, we made it to the end of the assessments. <laughs> <laughs> you passed. Uh, um, yeah. Social studies in the news. I don't think we've done this segment in a while. We haven't nope. met in a while. Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, fair enough. And I was actually, yeah, I think, our, didn't we say we were done introducing ourselves on the last show? Maybe, maybe yeah. this will be the last introductions. Maybe. Maybe we'll just go to names. <laughs> Have we gotten to the point where we can just go by first names? Are we, are we at that level? Yeah. Did we release the album with just the first name? I don't know. We're going to find out. Um, <laughs> so my social studies today, you know, I've, I've talked about the New York Times daily podcast several times on here. I love it. I listen to it every day. Uh, but they've started on Saturdays playing episodes from a new podcast out on the New York Times. And it's called Caliphate. Uh, and it's fascinating. Um, yeah, horrifying. But it, yeah, have you listened to it? Mm -hmm. It's it's really interesting. So Rukmini Kalamaki uh, is a reporter for the New York Times, and she's basically trying to trying to dive into what what is the Islamic State. Um, and so she's interviewing uh, an individual in Canada who actually went to Syria and worked with ISIS, which I think in itself is fascinating. I kind of want to get to the end of it and see where it happened. But, you know, she's going through each chapter as, as they release it um, from like the recruitment to, you know, the arrival to all these kind of different pieces. Um, and it's just really fascinating. It is, it is horrifying. And it's horrifying to know and think about the fact that the individual she's talking to has gone, participated in some of this, and is now back home. Um, but it's you know it, it shines an interesting light, I think, on um, on just some of you know the realities of of where we are today. I mean, it's I don't know. I I just I went through everything finally. I, I listened to I listened to them in piecemeal, but I listened to everything up through chapter five uh, yesterday driving. I just went one after the other, and, and in sequence, it was just. Wow. Yeah, fascinating and horrifying. But it's a great yeah, listen if you're looking for another podcast because yeah. you know your favorite talking social studies crew doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't do enough of them. <laughs> <laughs> so New York Times has more resources. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. All right. Well, I'll, uh, mine is not necessarily a news thing, but a huge shout out to Ben Freeman, who's Freemanpedia on uh, social media. Um, this guy is just huge shout out. I mean, he put together, um, the international Kahoot a couple years ago it was 9,000 people tonight was the attempt to hit over 10 and we crashed Kahoot server. Um, so I, he just guy is like, if for me, when I first started teaching AP world and even now, um, he's like my first stop for stuff. I mean, he's, he's very visual. He's very good at just like streamlining it for the kids um he's just he's so good i mean if if john green is the youtuber for you know crash course for ap world then ben freeman is your graphic guy mm -hmm. um, so but if you teach world history in any form um and you're not digging through Ben's stuff uh you're missing out um and i i tonight my kids i just watched 10 of my students just sit down and have an absolute blast and really like you know stretch their chops with the kahoot that he set up even though the system crashed, he kept the live feed going of just running through the questions. 
And it gave me a really good idea of like how much my kids have actually grasped. Like just, just sheer, just, you know, content recall kind of knowledge stuff. Um, Cause it just throws me throw so much at them um, in such a short time frame. And I just, I really felt like with those 10 kiddos, like I had a really good idea. I'm like, all right. So when we get in tomorrow and these two days before the big exam, I know exactly what we're going to tackle. Cool. That's awesome. Um, I swear that Scott and I did not, for those Both of you who aren't aware, there's like this grayed out section in her like social studies in the news where she was talking about the exact same podcast. <laughs> but I'm also talking about it was on New York Times. Uh, it was on an episode in the Daily in March, but um, they are doing this ongoing series in the newspaper called Overlooked, which oh, is that episode so was cool. fascinating. Yeah, and so it's basically they're writing obituaries for people that they overlooked at the time that they actually died. And it's primarily women so far that they've done um, and uh, people of color, I think is gonna be like the intended thing. But I think I was just scrolling through everything today and I think they were all women so far. Um, and the first one focused on Ida Wells, who was a journalist in the late 1800s and early 1900s who uh, dug into lynching as far as like really describing it in graphic detail and putting it out there and working for um, anti-lynching legislation. Um, but there's just, there was a fascinating one. One of the more recent ones, I think from May or April was a, a, a female commander of troops in World War One. I, I think for Russia. You know, I mean, just like these really intriguing things. So it would be like a real, if, if you're looking for people that should have been recognized and we don't really hear a lot about this would be a great thing to dig into with your students and you know it gets into the whole thing of like how are people remembered who gets remembered whose stories gets to get told whose don't why i don't know there's just a lot to dig into there <laughs> yeah you know i remember that ida wells episode i was sitting on bart actually coming back home from uh from i think the airport from san francisco airport and i was just sitting there listening to like this horrific accounting of some of these lynchings and you know not but i was just envisioning like here it is here's this woman in the south attending these lynchings and just documenting them and you know and they really started getting into you know how hated she became in some of those communities and things like that but it was just you're right there's so many avenues into those stories um, in addition to who the person is and what they did, but mm -hmm. yeah, why why was her obituary left out of the New York Times? And the way they set up those obituaries too, I mean, they really make it sound like everybody who is anybody's obituary has been in the New York Times, mm -hmm. um, except the ones who weren't. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll have to. I haven't actually. I haven't jumped into Overlooked. I'll have to check that one out. I've just I've just heard the episodes as they played through the daily. But well, the link is in the show notes. I'm gonna subscribe <laughs> right now. <laughs> Just like everybody out there is going to go to their subscribe button and go ahead and subscribe to the three clowns today on <laughs> this podcast brought to you by the New York times yeah. in some form or the other <laughs> little do they know that. And they're not giving us any money, but we're imagining that they're talking about them. <laughs> yeah. we were talking about them so much. Is that, but, is um, that a fail that every episode we get one subscriber, they get five. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're like, working this backwards here, people. <laughs> can we make that? If you if you subscribe to one of their podcasts <laughs> through our link, 
you automatically subscribe to us as well. There you go. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, I don't know that we've decided what we're going to talk about next time, but we will find something to talk about. The works. I mean, guys, we've we've got feelers out there on a couple of topics. Several of you have mentioned wanting to hear a little more about. Then we're trying to like pull in, you know, people who know more than we do um, about some of those topics. So you know, it's the time of year where everybody's kind of wrapping up things and, and kind of getting crazy. Um, but we're out there. We're trying. Um, hopefully we've got a couple exciting people that, you know, kind of locking in here shortly and we'll get talking, but, um, more to come. Oh my gosh. I think they're listening. Joel Breckstone from Shag just got back to me just oh, now. Cool. During, no way. The, during, during <laughs> six twenty, we were recording. He, his ears were burning. There you go. The power of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All Coming right, well, soon to NCSS 2018. <laughs> yeah, we're oh, yeah. Hey, we were in CSS 2018. Check out Chris and Amy; they'll be out there. I think we're we got to. I think I think we got to just draw the line somewhere here. Um, but thanks for listening, everybody. All Let's right, have a great one. Till next time. <laughs>